0: Aloha, gangi. How's it going? I'm your host as usual, Uncle Jared. Tonight, our little virtual bonfire is on Maui. The story I'll be covering starts off in the isolated town of Hana, then transitions to Lahaina, the beachside town from episode 5. This story was tough to write because it's about a very real incident that happened to an acquaintance of my dad's. Although I changed the names of the people involved, the majority of the events discussed in the story really happened. It was difficult keeping the story as accurate as possible without disclosing personal information about the family that suffered the tragedy. So let's jump right in. I dug a small puka hole for you to sit in so get comfortable. Pop a green bottle. Feel free to spark up that Maui Waui Paranormal Pakalolo and let's get into this. Hana, a quiet, picturesque town found on the northeastern coast of the island of Maui, is one of the most isolated communities in the state, with a population of just over 1,500. Considered one of the last unspoiled frontiers in Hawaii, the sleepy yet historically rich town is the final destination after completing the world-famous Road Tahana. This 64.4-mile stretch of highway, completed in 1926, twists and turns through the luscious rainforests and jungle that make up the landscape. Unlike the arid conditions of Lahaina found on the complete opposite side of Maui, this area is humid, receiving more rainfall making for countless scenic opportunities. Waterfalls, hikes, bamboo forests, and infinite breathtaking jungle views line the stretch of the road leading to Hana. The isolation that makes this treacherous drive so beautiful is also the reason it has not been updated to modern standards. Numerous blind turns, Steep sections of road, old bridges, 59 to be exact, and areas just wide enough to fit one vehicle make up the road. When I say the road to Hana twists and turns, it's not an understatement. There are 620 curves over the length of the 64.4 mile road, there's a reason Souvenir shirts are sold with the I survived the road to Hana phrase printed on the front. Not to mention the multiple dumbasses who disregard the no parking signs at many of the scenic points add to the peril of the legendary road. Side note, many locals commute the road daily so if you're slowing down traffic up or down the road, please pull over and let the seasoned drivers pass. Thank you. Hana's beauty makes it a popular destination for tourists and locals alike, which is why Travis, a sophomore in high school, and four friends planned on visiting the town for the weekend. The group, all attended Lahaina Luna, the private high school located in Lahaina. Oh, really? The group of boys all packed into a car early on a Saturday morning and made the almost three-hour drive from Lahaina to Hana, with plans to surf and fish to escape the heat wave expected to hit the islands that weekend. The drive to Hana would be busier than usual so the guys bypassed the hikes and stops along the way to avoid the tourists. After finally making it into the small town, they first stopped by the famed Hasegawa General Store for ice and snacks before heading to Koki Beach. Koki Beach, a famous surf spot to locals, was usually less occupied. The sand is tinted red from volcanic cinder that accumulates from the hill that towers over the beach, named Kaʻiwi O Pele, or the Bones of Pele. The cone hill gets its name from the legend of Pele, the goddess of fire, mentioned in Episode Three, and the location is where she fought her final battle against her sister, Na Makaolakahi the goddess of the ocean. Pele is defeated in this battle, her bones stacked along Koki, hence the reddish hue of the sand. Pele's spirit then travels to Kilauea on the Big Island, where she remains to this day. Sweet transition. Once the group hauled their coolers, towels, and snacks to the sand, they applied their sunblock, then immediately ran to the water to cool off. They tackled each other in the surf while enjoying the cool relief of the ocean. After a while, the guys got hungry, so headed back up to the towels they had laid on the sand for lunch. Travis's mother had made Spam usubis for the boys, which they enjoyed with cans of cold, passion orange guava, pog, juice they had chilling in the cooler. They lounged on the sand, teasing each other about high school crushes. Bruh, I know you like her. Plans for the future. I think I go in college on the mainland. All while dozing off periodically under the heat. What? It was a little afternoon, and the tide was low. No surfable waves, and the fish would not be biting at this hour. So the group decided to lounge in the water to cool off again. The sandbar at the beach stretched out several hundred yards. So at the deepest, the water was just about waist level. They wrestled in the shallow water, floated on their backs and splashed each other, stop! typical horseplay of high schoolers. However, their free-spirited afternoon of fun would suddenly take a dark turn that would change the outcome of their lives forever. The teens had been floating on their backs in the shallow water before one of them suggested heading back to their towels for more drinks. They began trudging to their home base, but before they could get out of the water completely, one of them realized Travis was gone. They quickly looked around, suspecting the boy... Had dunked his head under one last time before getting out of the water, fully expecting him to pop back up beside them. However, seconds passed and no one emerged. They scanned the beach around them. Maybe he swam underwater a length and was just further down the shore. Yet, they did not see their friend. There was no panic in the boys. There was no need for it. The water was calm, shallow, and occupied. Many other people casually swam and lounged in the area. There was no threat of anything. But as minutes passed with no sign of Travis, worry began to seep into the friends. He was just swimming with them minutes ago. Where could he have gone? Two of the friends jogged down the beach searching for Travis. Perhaps he was pranking them and was hiding. But as they combed the sandy beach, they found nothing. The other friend stayed in the location they had been swimming, looking for any sign of the team. After several more minutes, the group reconvened at their towels, now worried. Bruh, he was right next to us, one shouted. You think was one shark? Nah no way stay too shallow Although shark attacks have occurred in way deep water, one wouldn't have been able to pull him under, not without anyone noticing. He wasn't on the beach, in the water, or even at their parked car. Travis had literally vanished. Right next to them. The boys called Travis's father, who instructed them to call the Hana police as he and Travis's mother made the long drive down to the coastal town. An extensive search was held that afternoon and carried on all night and into the next day, but nothing. No signs of a body, clothing, or anything else was found. The Coast Guard suspended the search a week later. The community was devastated and perplexed by the disappearance Travis was a strong swimmer, spending most of his free time in the ocean, like most Hawaii childhoods. The entire scenario didn't make much sense. How could a healthy teen, surrounded by friends, just vanish? For months, the unsettling event lingered across the island. But the story became just a distant memory to most, except for the teen's family and close friends. Only the missing person signs with Travis's smiling face was there as a reminder. The tragedy was extremely difficult for Travis's parents, Bert and Misty Fujimitsu, Bert continued to post signs up in the community to keep Travis's story alive, replacing the ones that had degraded over time. Every weekend, he'd travel down to HANA asking tourists he'd come across to keep an eye out for the teen. Misty, however, took the disappearance a lot worse, understandably suffering severe depression. She rarely left the home or her bed attempting to sleep the days away. Their bedroom remained dark, the window blinds permanently closed. This would continue for the next two years. The grieving parents chose to keep travis's room exactly as he left it still believing he would one day return the walls of his room were covered with posters of athletes who represented hawaii like andy irons surfer mike stewart bodyboarder and bj penn mma fighter the 19-inch tv travis always had on when he was home stayed propped up on the dresser he kept at the foot of his bed, even after his parents' own TV broke. They couldn't imagine taking the perfectly good TV from his room to replace theirs. He'll need his TV when he gets back, Misty told herself. Even the clothes Travis left scattered across his bed and floor remained untouched. Misty couldn't bear changing the room from how her son had left it that last day she had seen him. Travis was known to bike to school and around town on an old huffy. The sight of Travis, surfboard tucked under one arm as he rode the bicycle, had become a mainstay to the Lahaina community. Not too long before he vanished, the teen had also taken up skateboarding and was known to practice kickflips in the center of his room, much to the irritation of his parents. What they wouldn't do to hear the crashing of the board just one more time, Bert often thought to himself. A little more than 2 years after Travis's disappearance, things suddenly took a strange, unexplainable turn. Travis's parents began experiencing odd occurrences around their Lahaina home that forced the event back into the lives of the community. All those years, Bert and Misty refused to have a memorial service for their son, believing he'd someday return. One night, someone or something did return. But it was not what the grieving parents expected. On the night that kicked off These odd occurrences It was warm Almost unbearingly so The usual breeze That trickled into town From the ocean Was absent The rattle of palm trees In their backyard Dead silent Misty as usual was in the bed she rarely left, while Bert slept soundly next to her, until an odd yet familiar sound yanked him from his slumber. Footsteps. It sounded like someone was pacing back and forth past the open window. Hey, Misty, Misty, wake up. I hear someone walking around outside. Misty woke up, confused at first, but quickly composed her thoughts. Someone was walking around right outside of the bedroom window. Although Lahaina is a relatively safe town, it has its fair share of homelessness, drug abuse, and crime. Break-ins and theft were becoming more and more common, as were the transients. Bert grabbed the baseball bat he kept by their bed and quietly snuck up to the closed window blinds. The footsteps continued back and forth, back and forth, directly outside the screen of the window. Wanting to surprise the culprit, Bert yanked the drawstring of the closed blinds, exposing the screen of the now-open window. Fully expecting a chronic slang for druggie to be standing there, he was shocked to find no one. Just an empty backyard, yet the footsteps continued for several more seconds before abruptly stopping. Bert held still in an attempt to pick up any other noises, but no other footsteps could be heard. He grabbed a flashlight and headed outside to investigate, wanting to confirm The person was gone and not crouching below the window out of view. As he approached the exterior of the window, he shined the flashlight around the border of the home, but no evidence anyone had been around was visible. He slowly walked up to the window and saw Misty on the other side of the screen, Phone in hand, in case she had to call 911. He reassured his wife they were alone on the property. No worry, no one stay. He headed back inside and locked all the doors and windows for added security. The next morning, the odd, middle-of-the-night incident barely registered in their memories. Bert went to work while Misty continued her shut-in lifestyle. That evening was typical. After walking Front Street for several hours handing out flyers of his missing son, Bert turned in early, slightly more tired from the interrupted sleep the night prior. But, yet again, the couple were awoken by noises from outside the home. Misty was in a dreamlike state in between awake and sleep. She had visions of Travis on his bicycle riding up and down their paved driveway. The familiar clanking of his bike chain, one she'd recognize pulling up as he'd get home from school, soothed the mother like a mechanical lullaby. However, her mind would not allow her to enjoy the memory. Cruelly, Reminding her of Travis's absence. The vision of her dream faded as she opened her eyes. To her surprise, the sound of Travis's bicycle remained. She bolted upright, startling her husband. Still, the sound of the bike wheels and turning of petals continued. Travis? She shouted as she jumped out of the bed and ran into the hallway. However, the house was dark and still. Bert joined her in the hallway, confused by his wife, but pieced together what was going on. He heard the bike as well. The noise would fade, then increase, fade, then increase, as if someone was riding around the entirety of the house. Bert headed for Travis's room and opened the door. Travis's bike lay perched on its rack just as it always had been. But still, the sounds continued. They rushed to the front door and opened it. For a few seconds, the pedaling noise continued, then, slowly dissipated into nothing. Just the slight sound of the ocean in the distance. I think I'm losing it, Bert, Misty said with tears in her eyes. I can't keep going through these emotions. Bert wrapped his arm around his poor wife and led her back to their room. They lay down, Misty quietly <laughs> sobbing into her husband's shoulder until they both eventually fell back asleep. All throughout the next day, Bert tried figuring out the logical explanations for the weird sounds, but could only attribute it to possible transients snooping around. That night, and the next few nights that followed, went back to normal. However, if Bert and Misty thought the incidences would soon end, they were wrong. Very wrong. Things would just get more strange over the next few weeks. Around 3 a.m. early one morning, the couple were both in a deep sleep. They had gotten used to locking the doors and windows, so inside the residence was warmer than usual. Other than the box fan whirring in their bedroom and the occasional crickets outside, the night was quiet, yet something was. A movement, maybe a sound, disturbed both the husband and wife. What was that? I don't know, Bert. Bert and Misty remained still, trying to figure out what had awoken them. Footsteps. Footsteps. Footsteps? But unlike the previous night, these footsteps were inside their home. Bert slowly got out of bed and carefully picked up the bat he now left propped on his nightstand. He crept quietly to the bedroom door wanting to keep the element of surprise. He paused to listen once again to confirm the noise. Yes, Someone was definitely inside. He heard the person's footsteps slowly walk from the living room into the hallway, then directly outside their bedroom door. The floorboards creaked as the sound continued down the hall towards Travis's bedroom. No, these thieves were not taking any of their son's belongings. Anger now consumed Bert as he raised the baseball bat and rested it on his shoulder, ready to attack. Oh, I gonna get you, you f***er. He yanked the door open and jumped out into the hallway. To his surprise, no one was there. He charged into Travis's room, confident this would be the only place the thieves would be able to hide. Yet again, the room was empty, exactly how it had been left. However, there was a noticeable difference. The temperature in the room was downright chilly. An obvious contrast to the stuffy, hot temperature of the rest of the house. Realizing they were alone in the home, Misty joined her husband in Travis's room. They looked at each other, puzzled. What's going on, Bert? They both were certain they had heard footsteps. Bert checked all the windows and doors to make sure they were still locked and headed back to bed. What else could they do? Nothing was out of place, and there was no explanation for the noises. Maybe just the groans of an old home. Yeah, okay, Bert. Things would only get more confusing as the week went on. The sounds of the footsteps continued like clockwork, starting from the front door, traveling into the living room, continued down the hall, then always ended in Travis's room. Then one afternoon, while Misty was alone in the home, she heard the TV in Travis's room turn on. She was in bed, as usual, when the sound of static was heard through the walls. Thinking her husband had gotten home earlier than usual, she headed to her son's room, worried Bert was messing around with how Travis had left it. She pushed the door that was left ajar open, Bert, Travis is going to be upset if you mess around. Misty stopped dead in her tracks. The room was empty. Everything in the exact place it had been. Clothes on the bed and floor. Skateboard in the center of the room, just as Travis had left it. Only... Static blared from the speakers of the small TV. Misty could feel the hair on her arms prickling up as if there was an electric charge in the air. But she knew it was chicken skin. She rushed to the TV, turned it off, then quickly left the room, closing the door. Misty headed back to her dark room and crawled into bed. Less than ten minutes later, she heard static in Travis's room again. The television had turned itself on. Misty was now agitated. She rushed out to the hall towards Travis's room and noticed the door she had closed ajar. She slowly entered her son's room, which was now noticeably colder. After pausing a second or two, Misty pulled the plug to the TV as the white noise visible on the screen blackened and the static stopped. She left the room, closing the door again, and crawled back into bed. Memories of her son's daily routine flooded back. As soon as getting home from school, he'd immediately head to his room and turn on the TV. It didn't matter if he was studying, sleeping, or practicing his skateboarding tricks. Travis always kept his TV on in the background. Misty glanced at the clock on her end table. 2:47 p.m. Right around the time Travis would normally return from school. the TV remained off for the rest of the afternoon. The final incident that neither could explain happened a few days later while they were about to start dinner. At first, they weren't sure what made the noise that they heard, But after several seconds, the familiarity of clanging wood and wheels flooded back. It sounded like a skateboard, as if someone was practicing tricks. Memories of Travis practicing kickflips at random hours of the day hit them both. Tears trickled down Misty's face by the happy memories. They walked to his bedroom as the noises continued. Bert opened the door, half expecting to see their son balancing on the board in the middle of his room. The room was empty, of course, but the board was propped on its side, One of the wheels, spinning. It's him. It's our Travis. Misty said, both sad and happy tears now streaming down her face. Over the past several weeks... Bert had been telling a few of his co workers about the odd noises he and Misty had been hearing. The footsteps and sounds of the bicycle riding around their home could always be explained by logic, but the TV turning on by itself and the sounds of the skateboard were more difficult to explain. Sharing the occurrences were oddly therapeutic for Bert. He had no other motives for telling his story other than releasing some of the emotions he had held in. One day, fate had other plans. A new co-worker, familiar with Travis's story, overheard Bert's stories in passing. This co-worker politely cut into the conversation Bert had been having with another worker. He mentioned to Bert his auntie was a psychic whose main source of income was doing tarot card readings and helped people make decisions about their futures. However, once in a while, she'd communicate with the spirit world. The co-worker told Bert he could put him in touch with his auntie. Maybe she could help figure out what was going on in the home. Bert almost immediately dismissed the idea, not being a believer in that type of stuff. I'll tell her to do it for free. No need pay. Plus it's close by. His co-worker told Bert. His auntie lived in Olawalu, which wasn't too far from Lahaina. After thinking about it a bit more, Bert figured, uh, might as well. Misty was obviously not getting over her grief. And something was definitely going on in their home, so agreed to set up a meeting. Bert informed Misty, who was surprisingly receptive to the idea. Might as well. That weekend, Bert and Misty made the 25-minute drive to Oluwalu from their Lahaina home. Neither were sure what to expect as they pulled into the address Bert's co-worker had given them. As they parked in the dirt driveway, a middle-aged woman with curly blonde hair greeted them through the screen door of the home. Auntie Antichrissa was a transplant from the mainland who had been living on Maui for the last decade. Krissa realized at an early age she had abilities others did not. Throughout her life, she experienced visions and emotions she could not explain. After a few transformative years during her teens where she thought she was crazy, realized her connection to the metaphysical world. Since then, She had been mastering her craft and applying it to those in need for money. Gotta eat. Auntie Krissa welcomed them into her living room and after some coffee and shortbread cookies, got into the thick of things. The grieving parents started off explaining the disappearance of Travis two years prior and how his body was never found. Then went into the strange events that they recently began experiencing. Bert first brought up the footsteps pacing outside their home and around the house. He went on to explain the sounds of the bicycle they heard in the middle of the night circling the property and how the disembodied sounds eventually transitioned indoors as if someone was roaming around their home. Misty added her experience of hearing Travis's TV turning on that afternoon. Just like when he used to come home after school, she said. Oh yeah, and there was that noise of the skateboard inside his room, Bert chimed in somberly glancing down at his wife's fidgeting thumbs. Chrissy gently placed her hands on Misty's. I understand. Your boy, your son Travis. He made it home. Krissa did not have answers for Bert and Misty on what happened to Travis that fateful day in Hana, but assured them he had passed on. I'm very sorry. It had taken his spirit all these years to travel from Hana back to their home in Lahaina. She sensed Travis's spirit was confused, not knowing he had died. Krista explained... He was a wandering spirit, lost to the physical world, not understanding what had happened to him. After finally making it back home, his spirit continued as a residual ghost, stuck in an endless loop, going through the routine he had when he was alive. It all made sense to the parents... They never felt threatened in their home from any of the noises. In fact, they were comforted once realizing the sounds were related to many of Travis's daily activities. Waves of emotion ran through Bert and Misty. Although they never wanted to believe Travis died that day, there wasn't really any other explanation for his disappearance. Knowing now their son's ghost was the source of the events they were experiencing left them torn. Their time with Travis was cut way too short and a part of them didn't want to let go of whatever they had left of their son. Yet Bert and Misty knew Travis couldn't truly be at peace. How can we help him? Move on? Bert asked the medium. Chrissy said, most of the time, it's the people closest to the deceased that trap the spirits of their loved ones by not letting them go. She suspected... That's what was happening with Travis's spirit. Celebrate his life. Hold a memorial service for your boy. It'll help him realize he's not part of this world anymore. And then he'll be able to move on. Bert and Misty followed the advice of Chrissy and held a celebration of life memorial, filled with family and friends. The friends who had joined Travis that day in Hannah attended, and so did many within the Lahaina community. All those years, his parents found it difficult to find closure in his disappearance, since his body was never recovered, but after speaking with the medium, it allowed them to properly grieve. Following the memorial, all the events at the Fujimitsu's residence stopped. Misty slowly broke free from the depression that imprisoned her within their home and began living her life again. The parents still grieved, the sadness of losing a child never fully goes away, but the two were able to gain the closure they lacked before the events began. Misty and Bert believed Travis still made occasional visits, showing up in their dreams, always smiling. Their son was gone. But the parents would never lose the memories they shared together as a family. Thank you so much for listening to the Ghost Lore of Hawaii Paranormal Paradise podcast. As mentioned at the start of the episode, the disappearance of the teen and the mysterious occurrences experienced by his parents soon after were based on a real tragedy that happened in the town my father grew up in. The names were all changed for the tale, but everything from the footsteps and sounds of the bicycle being heard, the TV, in the boys' bedroom turning on by itself, even the spiritual medium who offered advice, were all incidents borrowed from the real story. I want to send my warmest thank you and condolences to the parents of the missing teen, and I hope they're doing well. So mahalo to all of you for tuning in. As always, I appreciate your support. The Ghostlore of Hawaii Patreon is now live. Head over to patreon.com slash ghostloreofhawaii to become a patron. For as little as the price of a cup of coffee per month, patrons get access to bonus episodes only available on Patreon, along with discounts on merch, and a lot more. Free gifts! A link for the Patreon is posted on every episode, so you can't miss it. If you're enjoying Ghostlore of Hawaii, please rate and review the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Reviews help the show get in front of new listeners, which helps tremendously. If you want to email a story or topic for a future episode, you can reach me at ghostlore.of.hawaii at gmail.com Shout out to those of you who've emailed just to say hi I love those types of emails as well I have an Instagram for the podcast at ghostlore.of.hawaii if you're interested in following Please continue to share your favorite episodes with your friends If they don't have any of the listening apps they can always listen for free at ghostloreofhawaii.com No need to download anything Although my intent is to keep all information mentioned on the podcast as accurate as possible, I cannot always guarantee it will be. If you're interested in a topic discussed on an episode, please look into that information on your own as well. There's so much interesting info I cannot always include in just one episode. Before abrupt <clears throat> before abruptly stopping, abruptly before abruptly st- abruptly before abruptly st- abruptly stopping. Why is that so weird?